Welcome back to a second series of Leash Connects podcasts, where we meet more of the dedicated people who are there to support you and your community in the wonderful county of Leash. My guests today are Sinead O'Shea and Martina Dunn. Sinead is an assistant service manager and Martina is a counsellor, both working with Exter and Midlands Youth Drugs and Alcohol Service, or MIDAS, which is more commonly known, working with under-18s based here in the Midlands. Guys, you're both very welcome. So we're going to have a conversation about drugs and alcohol. And some of the things maybe we can talk around is things like, what age should we as parents or youth workers or school teachers start to become aware that drugs may be an issue in the lives of young people? Maybe things like what are the main choices of drugs for young people? Maybe look at how does drug use affect their behaviour? And then look at help. What help is there available for schools and for parents and for youth workers? Sinead, I'll maybe start with this one. In your experience so far, like what do you think is bringing our young people to drugs nowadays? To be honest, I think there's a variety of different reasons and some can be more like what we can see. So we can see changes in a young person's life and some can be quite hidden. Things like, say, curiosity could bring a young person to try out drugs because it's fun. It could be a peer group that they're hanging out with. It could be down to boredom. Some things that we might notice as much, so it could be something that's internally going on for the young person, like low self-esteem, low self-confidence, low self-worth. It could be that they're getting maybe bullied within the school. It could be a variety of reasons like that. They could have trauma and it could be trauma within the family home or it could be trauma experienced through loss of a significant person. And it could be down to something like a mental health issue and it might be an undiagnosed mental health issue. Research has indicated that young people that have ADHD and ODD and ASD, things like that kind of put people more vulnerable to engage in substance use. Is that curiosity still there, Martina? I'm thinking about, you know, back in the olden days when I was young, you didn't really know just maybe the damage that drugs caused. But young people today are, like they're tuned in, or they're certainly taught anyway in the classroom, the damaging effects drugs can have. Out there at the moment, some of the drugs of choice, one of the biggest ones for the young people would be cannabis, herbal cannabis, weed, and they don't see that as a problem because everyone's doing it. And just there, what Sinead was saying, you know, it could be out of curiosity or interest. Some young people go for it or try out the drugs because their friends are doing it. Or there's a group of friends and if they start taking the cannabis, straight away they have an instant group of friends or so-called friends. And the peer pressure is really big out there. And also I believe that how the young person sees themselves, like Sinead mentioned bullying, trauma, all the underlying mental health problems, all these contribute to how the young person sees themselves. And yes, that curiosity is out there and they try it because someone else is trying it down the street. Then this is how it escalates. Some young people will try it once and don't touch it again. Some people will experiment. Some people will be like a social user. And I suppose the big thing for us on the ground for the under 18s, the young people's brains aren't fully developed. They're not fully developed, roughly to around about 25. Cannabis will not kill you, okay, or else a ton of it falls out of the skies. But it does do damage to the developing young person's brain. And that's one of the big things that we would talk about to the young people because their brain's not fully developed. 
You mentioned there they've got a group of friends instantly. So that means then if a young person is wanting to develop their friendships or their social network. Yeah, I think as well, just on that point, they gain a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, which they mightn't have in their own lives at all. Like they might feel within school or even within the family circle that they're on the outside. But then they have this sense of identity within this group of peers. They can't feel anywhere else. So I think that that's one of the motivators for young people experimenting, especially with weed, but with any substance. I think another thing that myself and Martina have experienced, you know, working on the ground is that young people who come from a community that may be deprived, where young people don't have options and they don't have that guidance and they don't have, you know, they're kind of socially deprived. They're really at an increased risk of experimenting really with substances and for it to be possibly come problematic in later life. What age groups are we talking here? Like when are young people starting to... To be honest with you on that, there's no actual age. I think every young person within the community and within the world is unique. And for us to kind of say, okay, well, from our experience, it's 12 or 15 or 16. I mean, it's very different and it depends on their family circle. It depends on their social circle, how they fit within their environments, their own mental state, their own well-being. We have seen quite young people engaging and, you know, trying out things. And then some young people don't start until in their later teens. And it really does depend on the environment and what's going on for the young person at the time. So there's no kind of real age as such. It really does. Environmental factors, I think, play a big part. Cannabis then, you're saying cannabis is the main drug of choice, Martina, at the minute. Cannabis at the moment, then you have the likes of cocaine. It's increasing among the young people and that's quite expensive to buy. You have MD, which would be the true form of ecstasy. D5s, the benzodiazepines. The young people normally go for the D5s, D10s, Xanax, maybe prescribed or street Xanax. So those would be the drugs that we're seeing most of our young people are trying. What's going on in their lives that gives them a curiosity for an anxiety medication? Again, it's to do with themselves. We talk away about your environment. If a young person is hanging around with someone else who is experimenting, there's a good chance that that young person is going to try as well because they trust their friends. Remember, we're working with young people here. They're not adults. They're not fully developed yet. Their brain's not fully developed to make those proper choices for themselves. And some of them do make wrong choices. Some of the times where they feel anxious within themselves and if they find out from friends that there's this tablet you can take or something you can take that can help you, that would probably be the biggest indicator of them trying it. And don't forget... When a child is four or five and they start primary school, they have to leave that safe environment from their mummy, daddy, go to school. And it's hard for both child and mum, but they will experience that same anxiety when they go to secondary school. And that's where we have to be very aware of getting the children ready for secondary school. Because some kids who are sort of in on themselves, maybe not that outgoing person or full of confidence, the anxiety can set in. And that's where the schools do some great work around that and to help that transition. But if you're a young person like that and you find out that somebody can give you a little tablet that's going to help you with that. And if you trust that person, there's a good chance you'll take it. And that's just how easy it can happen. So this is all sort of word of mouth recommendations. Let's talk then about behaviour. How is drug use affecting our young people's behaviour? It can affect behaviour in many different ways. Young people can become quite aggressive in the family home, which can leave mum or dad or caregiver feeling very overwhelmed and going, 
what's actually happening here. They have no knowledge as to why or where this is after coming out of. They can engage in very secretive behaviour. So they can start lying about things. They can start absconding, you know, out of the family home or not turning in for school. So it can infect them in that way. It can also infect them in ways such as they are more kind of on edge. So they're more anxious. They're more withdrawn. They start isolating themselves in the bedroom. They can start dropping out of sports and things that they really love. And that has been a big part of their lives to date. They can start becoming really unmotivated, really not themselves. Even their physical presentation can start changing as well. Their weight can start to fluctuate. There's different telltale signs, I suppose, for different substances. Like even with weed, you can see like the bloodshot eyes lack of motivation. Young people can become more aggressive or experience high anxiety. So I suppose with each substance will bring its own set of behaviours. But when you see a very distinct change to a young person's behaviour, there's something behind it. It may be drugs, it may be mental health, or it could be for some completely separate reason. I would always say to parents that if they notice something, it's worth investigating it. And it's worth kind of sitting the young person down and meeting them where they're at in a safe environment, being non-judgmental and try and talk it out with them because communication is key. I can imagine that's a difficult conversation. Absolutely. Yes. Anthony, it is a very, very difficult situation. Like all of our staff on the ground is trained in craft. And craft is a model that's used to work with family members or concerned person or significant others, guardians that say where a young person has said, no way, I don't need to engage in a community treatment centre. So we can work with the parent or the friend or whoever to help them and support them and give them the tools to get the young person to come and access the support and service that they need. Talk me through CRAFT then. What does that stand for? So it's Community Reinforcement Approach Family Training. It's what it says on the tin. It's to work with the concerned person to get the loved one to enter into treatment. So there's a set of skills that you go through and we work on the communication between say mum, dad and the young person. We give them skills to actually have them open conversations with the young person. We do things like say happiness skills with them. We do communications, positive reinforcement and allowing, see where a lot of parents are kind of caught up as well is because they love their child, every parent loves their child, but they don't allow the young person to experience the natural consequences of their actions. So this model will help a parent to allow the child to experience the negative consequences. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that they're going to let any harm come to them. Negative consequences that will actually help promote and encourage the child thinking of change. Give me an example of that, Sinead. Well, a good example of that that comes to my head straight away is, for example, if a young person is, say, taking cannabis and decides to have a joint in the morning before they go to school, they go into school, the teacher notices something strange, then the child is suspended or expelled. That would be to sit back and let that natural consequences happen. The principal, for example, of the school and the teachers, they have a duty of care to all students and somebody cannot come into school stoned. So that would just be your typical example of a natural consequences. But yet you could argue that the best place for a kid that's maybe exposed to drug use yeah, early school consequences are, yeah. should probably be best yeah. held yeah. within a school. Yeah. And yeah. that you see where then the young person might engage with the likes of our services. In fairness, schools are very, very 
very good and I would engage with quite an awful lot of schools. Any principal that I have worked with or engaged with to advocate for the young person who has made a mistake, they are very accommodating. Principals and teachers are well tuned in as well that this is an epidemic, should we say, among our young people. Is it that bad? It is and it is quite bad and like I remember I was working with the mum, the young person was engaged with a JLO so the young person wasn't turning up for the appointments with the JLO and I was using craft with this mum to try and help and encourage the young person to come forward and access treatment. What was happening was every time that the appointment came and the young person didn't turn up mum was ringing the JLO and making excuses for the young person. So there was a lot of work for me to work with mum to make it okay in her head not to do that and to allow the natural consequences for the young person not attending the appointment. Because I think that what we do as parents, being a parent myself, like what we do as parents is when a young person does something wrong or they get it wrong, we do try and make it better and we do try and help them and support them the best way we can. But sometimes it's not always the right way. But by allowing them experience negative consequences, but not negative consequences that's going to endanger or harm the young person, but negative consequences that will make them think and take more responsibility for their actions. That's what craft is about. Tell me how we build the setting whereby a parent can communicate with, say, a grumpy 15-year-old who's maybe been withdrawn or aggressive within the home or just won't engage. How does a parent approach that? Timing is everything. And this is what we do teach the parents. You're not going to approach that grumpy 15-year-old for a conversation first thing in the morning when they get out of bed because they're just after getting out of bed and they're grumpy and they're not feeling like talking and they're trying to get their head around the day. So you're waiting for that in. You're waiting for the time where maybe you two might be on your way to somewhere and you might be in a car driving along and your boat relaxed. You're kind of looking for that hook. They call it in craft the hook. So you're looking for that in with the young person. And it might be after the young person is after experiencing a sense of joy in their life. So they might be after winning a match or they might be after, you know what I'm saying? So there is times and there's windows and windows of opportunity that you look to have them conversations with the young person. You don't dive right in. And the worst thing you can do is meet fire with fire. So we teach the caregiver, mum, dad, whoever, sibling to stay calm. We teach them about tone. We teach them all this skills within positive communication. So you're offering that understanding statement. You're looking for that resolution. You're not pointing the finger of blame. So you're taking on half and you're allowing them to take some as well. So it's a very different way of working. And from our experience of using this model on the ground, we've had excellent feedback. We've had a trial of a craft group which went exceptionally well. Parents felt really, really, really supported. We've also, from that one craft group trial, we've had the result of the parent actually getting the young person to access the service as well. But that's across the four counties. It's not just based in one county. We do this individually with parents, but we are looking at setting up groups. We're looking at getting that up and running. That will be something in the near future that we will be rolling out as well. 
I can imagine it takes quite a lot of patience there, Martina. Because as a parent, like I know myself as a parent, like you want to you want to solve the problem here and now. You don't want them to let it drag out for a while. Sinead there talked about hooks. Um, I just know from my experience working with the young people, they really don't like eye contact. So for a parent, the best time, I think, for getting that opportunity would be maybe coming home from the cinema or picking them up from a football match where you're both looking straight ahead. Nobody's looking at each other. And the young person doesn't feel so trapped. Like that could be a real good hook to start the conversation. And you would use language like, say, I'll make up a story here, okay? My husband would be a keen fisherman, right? So say, for example, keen fisherman, have a son, he's keen into fishing, and then he starts going down or making wrong choices in his life. The ideal opportunity would be when you're coming back from fishing with a young person, maybe say, you know, I miss you when... We used to do this before. I miss you who you used to be. I don't like it when you're stoned. Is there anything I can do to help? Do you want me to spend more time with you? Would you like to do more fishing? And say for a girl, it could be something like cooking. Try and come up with activities that's not going to cost a fortune. It could be simply cooking at home or maybe going for a girly day shopping, even window shopping. Doing positive activities so the more time that they're not using the better it is for the young person. But you know that there's a period in the teen years where young people pull away from their parents and they don't want to be seen with their parents in case, you know, somebody else sees them. You know, they aren't cool. We're just, they're embarrassed to be in our company. Like, how can a a mum or a dad hook their kid? I think it's about, like, tapping into the things that they already know about the child that the child enjoys. And it's about tapping into them things and offering them the opportunity. And like Martine said, it could be go fishing, it could be going to the cinema, it could be going for a walk. But it's about you looking at that and tapping into that, what they do like. Anthony, I get what you're saying. A lot of times kids don't want to be around their parents, especially when they hit them teenage years and it's like it's not cool to be seen with mum or dad or whoever. But a kid will always want to have that nurturing and a sense of belonging Mm. and a sense of feeling loved. So while it might not be out in a shopping centre or whatever like that, there is things that you can do with the child, just the two of you and spending time together. But it's about tapping in and seeing what they do like and what hooks them, really. It could be as simple as watching a film on television. All the kids are into TikTok at the moment. And I know my teenagers completely be nearly falling off the chairs laughing when they see me trying to make a TikTok with them. Just simple stuff like that where no one's going to see it. It's in the family home like. You know, it's just trying to come up with creative ideas, what the kids are doing, that what can we do to engage more with them. But meanwhile, that's running parallel to maybe like a tolerance or an acceptance Absolutely. that that behaviour yeah. is still there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of times where there will be a lot of friction within the family home. So the parent and the child may have a very fractious relationship and the communication would be extremely poor or non-existent. What we would encourage the family member to do is to actually positively reinforce the child. Not get into conversation, but start to positively reinforce the child. Give me examples of that. So a child comes down. They're nicely dressed and just acknowledge it. So the very the basic child, stuff. No, we're stripping it right back. Okay. We're not getting technical. So it could be the child does something like makes a cup of tea for mum or dad, positively acknowledging that. It could be the child comes in, you set a time, the child has to be in at eight o'clock or 
whatever the case may be, and the child is home at that time. So you're recognising all the good because a lot of times kids are rebellious within the family home because they don't feel recognised. They don't feel a sense of belonging and they're struggling themselves with their own confidence and hormones and everything that's going on for them. So it's about stripping this all back and looking at the very basic of things and just positively reinforcing when they do something right or they do something well. And they might come in and they might not be under the influence. And it's about acknowledging that. You mentioned earlier, Sinead, about behaviour. Sometimes a young person can become aggressive. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because that's one of the things I've heard over the years with parents coming up to me at the end of different sort of youth mental health training events that have been running, that their young person has become aggressive and they're putting that aggression down to the drug use. You know, aggression within a family home First of all, it can be intimidating, it can be very unsettling for family life, but it can also really damage relationships. Because aggression is not always a physical thing, it can be a verbal thing whereby maybe a young person saying things that are hurtful. And that can be quite damaging to relationships. Absolutely. Like aggression can take many different forms, verbal, physical, psychological. I mean, there's so many different forms of it. But from my own experience to date, yes, you know, the substance use can trigger aggression, but also it could be things like mental health. It could be that the young person is under drug-related intimidation. I would have seen, in particular, drug-related intimidation, I would have seen that really causing that level of aggression in the family home for a young person because the young person themselves are so frustrated and so scared and they're lashing out, not because they want to lash out, they're lashing out at the closest person to them because they're actually so frustrated and so scared. What are the scared off when you're saying drug-related intimidation? What does that mean? It could be that they're under intimidation from a dealer because they owe a dealer money. And it could be anything from, say, 20 euros to a couple of hundred euros or a couple of thousand euros. So they're borrowing their drugs, so they're in debt then? They're in debt, yeah. Okay. They're in debt for their drug use. And then some of them, just to pay off that debt, they would sell for the dealer so they would get their weekly use free. And they don't see that as them becoming a dealer. They're only supplying their friends but they get their drugs for the week free. And this is just how slowly it can escalate. So the aggression then is the fear. I do feel, especially where intimidation, drug-related intimidation is present for a young person, I do feel that the aggression is kind of fueled by fear. And I suppose fear of the unknown. If you can just imagine Anthony, yourself being put in a position where you felt very isolated, you felt very on your own, you felt like you can't tell mum and dad, you can't tell anybody about this. You're in fear of walking out your front door every time that you have to go to school or you have to go about daily errands. You're looking over your shoulder, like how difficult that must be for a young person. And it's very, very sad. It's very, very sad when you come across young people who are the victims of drug-related intimidation. As a worker, it's one of the most difficult things to deal with because we have a programme in place and we work very closely with On Garda Síochána because they have a inspector, a drug-related intimidation inspector in each of the areas. And that's something that we would work very closely with and that we would always inform our young people and our families about this, that they can link in for support. But because there's such a fear there, it's not everyone that will go forward and access that support. 
is that Garda support? Is that in all the Garda stations in the major towns in the Midlands? Like so Mullingar, it is, yeah. So you have an inspector who covers Leash and Offaly, and then you have an inspector who covers Longford and Westmeath. But just on that, they're actually very good in terms of they won't ask the young person to name the dealer unless they want to. They won't come and meet the young person in a uniform. They will come and meet the young person in plain clothes at a location that suits the young person. Because there is that fear of being seen going into a guard station because you might be labelled a rat. There's always them fears. So us as workers, we have to always think outside the box and think of how that may affect the young person that we're dealing with. But just on the drug related intimidation as well, and this is from my own experience, I've seen where drug related intimidation can really shred, and I mean shred, a young person's mental health. They engage in suicidal ideation, self-harm, and I have seen it where the self-harm has actually been quite severe. And that's hard. That's hard to cope with. And this is happening and parents aren't aware of it. Yeah. And if it gets too much for the young person, then it can actually lead to suicide. Is help effective? Is help within the services? Coming from the under 18s, Exermidas, under 18s drug and alcohol service, I suppose I've been with the service a couple of years now and... I know this might be a biased opinion, but seeing the work that the team does and the level of positive outcomes achieved by the team, yes, I definitely think so, would be the answer to that question. But I do feel, honestly, Anthony, a young person, it's a big thing for a young person to actually even disclose that to a drug and alcohol worker or a counsellor. It's a big thing. You have to have that trust there with the young person. Because remember, this is something that they're holding inside themselves. This is something that they're fearing massively. The times that we would have experienced when the family has been made aware that there is a drug debt and there is intimidation, like that shatters the whole family. Family have to take out huge loans. Family are lying in their beds at night and they're scared. They're going out then and they're looking over their shoulders. It can have a really, really damaging effect on not just the young person, but the whole entire family. We would have had it where the family mightn't have known, but a dealer would have turned up at the door and then the family knows. So like that's very difficult to deal with. We do have, there's our service on the ground. We have a great support with Angarda Kona in the drug-related intimidation programme as well. So right across the Midlands, we have an inspector available that if the family do wish to go forward and get that support, that support is there as well. And as Sinead said there about the relationship, to me, working with the young people relationships key. You have to have that trust with them. That's why we work remotely. We will meet the young person where it's safe for us to do so, either in the family home. Sometimes the school would provide us with a room or let the young person come out of the school. So straight away, the child doesn't think they're coming into a clinical setting or a group of professional adults. It's just you and the young person. And we work very much on trust, confidentiality, explain to them exactly what we can hold and what we can't hold, the limits of confidentiality, how we have helped other people. And I even have had referrals or referrals, should I say, coming in from ex-clients who has told their friends, you really want to ring my desk. 
and they will help you. Like we do loads of help with school. For example, something could be going on at school that the school don't know about. So we can advocate on their behalf. And that could be one of the things that's contributing to their substance use. Could be home. It could be bullying. It could be something. It could be their sexuality. And we can hold all that for them and work with them until they're ready. And we'll meet them where they're at and we won't push them to go anywhere they don't want to go. And we keep coming back because if, say, for example, it was referred from a parent and the young person said, I don't have a drug problem. I don't need to speak to a drug counsellor. And that's OK. Well, let's talk about something else. You might not talk about drugs for the first three or four weeks until you get the relationship built up. And then see then exactly, God, you know, this one's kind of making sense here. That has happened to me. And there's an awful lot of like psychoeducation we would do, an awful lot of the effects of the drugs they don't know about. And we can educate them on that. Even though we work on the harm reduction approach and I would have some young people would ring me up and say, Martina, I'm thinking of taking a certain drug. And I would say to them, well, these are the effects. This is the short term effects, long term effects. But you have an underlying problem, say, for example, kidneys. And I'd be able to say taking that drug with your kidney problem can be really, really bad for you. So my advice is don't. But that is a level of trust. And I know some people find it hard to get their head around harm reduction, but it works with the young people. There's evidence for it. And to me, it's the only way really to work with young people. And we get them to a point then where they want to change. Can we talk a little about relationships? Because I think if a relationship has been damaged because of behaviours, like what can a parent do to maybe start to rebuild that relationship again with their son or daughter, Martina? That would be a very common question that some parents would talk to me about. If he was 18, I would throw him out. You know, of course, they're hurt. They're let down with their young person's behaviour. So you'd work with that. Parents straight away think, oh, my God, they're going to next thing I'm going to hear their own heroin. That's not the case. What the parent has to do is to try and be brief with the communication. Let the young person know, look, I love you, but I really do not like your behaviour. I don't agree in drugs. This house is drug free. I don't want you hanging around with anybody in drugs. Be firm, be brief and explain exactly where you're coming from. And if the parent is really worried, just phone us. They might not even have to see us, but somebody could talk to them over the phone. They could tell us exactly the situation or the circumstances and we would be able to guide them through it. But having that lovely relationship, because at the end of the day, Young people, as I said, they're not fully mature yet. They still need that nurturing and that support. But the parent is the most uncoolest person at the moment to be seen with. And it's waiting for opportunities to talk to them about where they're coming from. I'm worried. I know your friends are doing it, but I don't want you to do it. And when they're not doing it, recognise that. Say, you know, I'm really proud of you because I know that must have been difficult for you at that 18th birthday party and you didn't come home stoned. Again, it's all that positive reinforcement. Does the young people need to engage in order for you to engage with the parents? No. So you'll work independently with the parents? Yes. Regardless if a young person yes. engages or not? Yes. Yeah. Just to mention here as well, a young person can self-refer because we can have young people out there who might think, oh my God, I have a problem. I can't tell mom or dad. Or they might have nobody to tell or nobody that they can trust. But they can ring our service themselves and we will meet them. 
and they can get advice over the phone. They can ask a question. And, you know, we've had situations where young people might be concerned about a substance that you're taking and they'll ring up and we'll give them the advice. And that might be all that they need. But from that, they might go, OK, well, they were OK to deal with. I didn't feel judged. I felt heard. And from that, then they may engage in service. What can we do as parents to maybe prevent our young people even having that curiosity with drugs? Or is that just a very naive question? I always think that a child in particular, because they're so energetic, they need to have a focus. They need to have structure and routine in their life. And they need to have one person. And that's all it takes, is one person in their life that they can trust. And I always say that if a young person has one good person in their life, that can be enough to bring them across the line. Guys, thank you so much for coming in to chat today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to your next podcast. Until then, Slán Gofoyle.